Welcome to The Difference Engine, the show for founders, funders, and the category curious. Don't confuse size, don't confuse valuation with category leadership. I'm not the only person frustrated by this. You disagree with my analysis. I do. You either acquire or you are acquired. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And it's proof that you're winning the argument. We all know history is written by the winners. Hi, Jonathan. Hey, Paul. What are we talking about? Oh, on this week's podcast, we have got a consideration of LinkedIn's descent into drivel. Right. And then with a hat tip to the Spaghetti Western, we have got the magnificent seven of what to do on your first category strike. But first up, we are wondering, does Google really get category? You know, we think Google needs a category win, but we're beginning to wonder, does Google actually get category? I mean, I think it's a bit rich, right? Google created the whole search engine category. They've done extraordinarily well. Was it an accidental discovery? Did they just get lucky? It's hard to say. I do remember uh, they did a launch event. Oh, gosh, probably 15, nearly 20 years ago. And I think it was uh, Sergey was outside with the weird Google Glass glasses on. And, and one of the teams said to me, there's a guy with some very extraordinary spectacles on outside. Now, that's a category they didn't win. That category is still being played for. And, and Apple just has announced the ski goggle version of that. But you spotted some local UK EMEA news around Google that you think means they need to do better. Google came out with a very big announcement, a 33-acre massive data center just north of London. Good for London, of course, you know, lots of data center capacity. But again, the devil's in the detail. And we think if you look at the way they have pushed this data center out, and if you look at the messaging around it, I think they could be missing another category creation trick. Well, as I say, I think it's a little bit rich. It's great that we've got this investment because if it went to you know France, Germany, somewhere else, we'd be bitching about it. Yep. It's fabulous. But is another data center the same thing as owning a category? Well, we don't think it is because another data center is just part of the existing data center category. And what's sort of interesting about the way that this data center was announced, it just seemed to be bigger, better, faster, and an announcement that appears more aimed at government and policymakers and the communities that actually use data center capacity or the cloud apps that they actually enable. You know, they threw the kitchen sink at bigger, better, faster on this one. A billion pound purchase of a, an office in, in central London, one million square feet development in King's Cross, free digital skills training for a million people. Great. But it's absolutely rooted in the current perception of what a data center does. And Microsoft, the very resurgent Microsoft, recently launched its data center and did something very different that does accord with category creation. Different. They very much promoted the AI-ness of it all. And, and that seems, it makes sense to me that Google would you know, bow down to regulators and governments at this stage in the cycle. There's a lot of it going around, this regulatory capture. Um, you know, we've got it in the States with Lena Khan. We've got it with the Vandalayan in EMEA. There's a lot of people that have got a lot of knives out for these big guys. And so part of me thinks they've made the announcement. I think they fluffed it. I totally agree. They haven't linked it to any category differentiation. But haven't they got time to do that after the event? Potentially not. 
because Microsoft is already ahead of them and they've missed their first opportunity to deliver their vision for how they are going to support an AI-driven future. Yeah, and I suppose momentum being everything, it's amazing that even at these big levels of play, you've got the huge companies and they are basically fighting it out still for new categories. And AI being the mega category it is, has prompted a lot of folks to get into that. Like Meta, should we say shit the bed? Made a, a strategic error, let's say, investing all of that money in the metaverse. The world of VR, not quite right at the time. And I think it's, it's cooling so fast, they've missed the wave. You've got Apple going in there now. They have just, uh, you know, reports of, to be believed, withdrawn their car. But Microsoft are betting the farm, it would seem, on AI. You've got the open AI deal. You've got this data center. They do seem to have more of a clue. They're certainly coming across along more coherently. And happily for them, their $1 trillion status keeps on going the right way. So timing, momentum is everything. But we think Google really missed a trick on this one. Yeah, we, we do. I mean, there was a small reference in the launch talking about the general economy, unlocking new ways for AI-powered technologies to boost productivity. That's just the general economy. It's not about we at Google are delivering the infrastructure to drive the next wave. I mean, it sounds Whereas that more like was definitely the message that Microsoft came out it with. It sounds more like a government announcement than anything to do with the, the tech industry. And maybe they feel that they're big enough, old enough, and dumb enough to sound like a government. But I can tell you something from a technology buyer's point of view, it ain't exciting. You look at the last bit of this quote, it's vital that we invest in the technical infrastructure needed to support innovation and tech-led growth. That, that sounds that, like a government. water company. That's all governments talking. It's bland, it's generic. It's not the stuff of leadership. It's not, it's not the, we are going to go in this direction because we can see the future. It's really just more of the There's same. There's no category leadership there. It sounds like someone that should be transporting our sewage safely and we'd like it to be done in a very bland way that we don't really know too much about. Data sewage, there. Well, <laughs> that's, yeah, a let's new, not go there. that's a new idea. So we think it's a missed opportunity. That much is clear. The category lesson then from this Google launch is what? You've got to hand it to Google. This is a major investment in the UK. This is an important new data center. The problem we can see with this is that it doesn't move their category needle at all. And Google has missed a number of opportunities recently to become category leader. And are they about to lose another? Is it the case that Google really doesn't get category? Now, this is concerning because the resurgent Microsoft clearly does. You know what? This really grinds my gears. So, Jonathan, has anything been grinding your gears this week? LinkedIn's descent into drivel. Oh, come on. You don't like all of those nice pictures and we had a day out at the office and we're a great place to work? I certainly don't. I mean, we love LinkedIn. We post on it all the time. But I think LinkedIn should be about building businesses and careers through high-value, effective networking, right? Simple. You think it's got a little bit confused with its friends at Instagram and Facebook? I and do. I do. It, it's just descended into drivel. It's, it's a deluge of poorly targeted requests to connect from some outsourced development shop or online marketing specialist. You know, it displays jobs that are clearly already taken but posted to give the impression of open hiring. And this really grinds my gears. Way, way 
way too much personal virtue signaling, self-help homilies and corporate employee toadying. You don't want to know how somebody overcame depression or why their dog's looking very cute, honestly? Not on LinkedIn. I see. Well, isn't this a problem, though, with all of these portals? So we had Twitter users up in arms, so to speak, as they say about some of the changes for the scrolling. And Mr. Musk, very wittily, in my view, saying he's trying to help people to get out and about and stop doom scrolling on their phones. The issue here is LinkedIn, as with all of those other social media platforms we just mentioned, is UGC, user-generated content. And not everybody wants to use LinkedIn and the way you described it as for business. But that is fundamentally going to damage its category. And you know the damage is being done by deliberate lack of curation. The problem is that the quantity of connections and content are being pursued at the expense of the quality of both of them. I think you're right in a way. There are other competitors out there. There's Glassdoor, which talks about people's experiences of working the same with Fishbowl. And these are sort of biting off little bits of subcategories that are actually what you're talking about and not what LinkedIn has, quote unquote, descended into. It's hard to see how to get out of it, but does point to a very big issue with category once you start to become successful. And, you know, the message here is you should never confuse either expanding your brand or your business through additional sales or eyeballs with expanding your category. Yeah. So the so the difference here is obviously, you know, you can make your brand or your business more attractive, attract more eyeballs for those who know and understand and recognize that they have the problem which you're purporting to solve. But if you expand the category, you expand the relevance of the problem to more people who probably aren't in your category. And I think what you're saying about LinkedIn and its descent into drivel is those people should be more and more business people and not people who use it as a sort of adjunct to Instagram, Facebook, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's just too much noise and, and not enough signal. You know, that always confuses what category leadership should be about. And it's about being associated with solving clear and specific problems. And I think this is um, going around at the moment. There's a lot of brands wagging the category dog. We've seen the Bud Light debacle uh, of late. Less said about that, the better probably. There was the classic Coke versus new Coke dilemma back in the day. And there's this hideous thing that I see on the roads that has a horse on the front of it that Ford is trying to make us believe is a Ford Mustang. I mean, what are they thinking? You know, the leader in the American muscle car category being attached to an EV. Quite a podgy one at that, actually. Uh, it's not good looking. It's certainly not. Yeah, so let's get back to LinkedIn and, and what they can do about their category. Nobody goes to LinkedIn for a whole dose of blatant look at me, 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 virtue signaling or, or well, that horrible, sickening corporate toadying, which seems to be standard. So I think this is going to be some tough love for, for Reed and the guys at LinkedIn and their new masters at Microsoft. What do you think they should do? They should curate. They should curate so that people can understand what's really going on in the economy and technology and business and who they can genuinely collaborate with or share ideas. Well, one ray of sunlight perhaps on this is that you know, they do make a lot of money out of people advertising jobs, but there are other places where one can advertise jobs. They don't need to go the way of the other social media platforms because they don't need to attract all of those B2C advertisers. They could focus. There's plenty of other places to tell us about what you're wearing, what you had for breakfast, etc. if that's what you want to do. Don't get distracted when you're growing your category. 
You've got to learn to earn. Back to the learn and earn section where we try and dispatch some of our knowledge into our listeners. So, Professor Simnett, what is it we're going to learn today? Well, I thought we'd um, learn to earn and have a look at the essential components of a first strike. I think it's worthwhile pointing out that, you know, as people say, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. The guiding principle of first strike is you have to plan and execute with precision to get that maximum impact and catch the market off guard. There's no point in half-arsing this. You want to give it everything you've got. Yes, there are some obvious components that you want to go with. You'll want to refresh the website and do all your PR, et cetera, et cetera. But everything you've got, concentrated period of time, strikes do not last months. They last a week at tops. Yeah, absolutely. What are our magnificent seven then, All right, at one. Coordination. Don't start planning for a strike until you've appointed your strike leaders. Talked about this before, across the disciplines in the company. These might be board-level leaders, or they might be people who are reporting directly to those board-level leaders. And most of all, appoint a strike coordinator. These are absolutely essential for successful strikes. This is a no-Z area. Everybody's got to be right up for this. You want motivated people, even if they've never done it before. It's a reason to get excited. It could be critical to the success of the company, right? Yeah, but you've got to make sure that everybody does understand their role and is also very clear about the fact that most of what they're going to be doing leading up to a strike is confidential. Which brings us on quite nicely to number two. Timing. Critical, as they say. Yeah. It certainly is in comedy and it certainly is in category. <laughs> so we're talking about some period off in the future when we've done this sort of work before. It's, it could be that the strike's a year away. More likely six months, sometimes three months. You've got a problem if it's a month, let's be fair. And we've been given that as a challenge and we said, no thanks, rethink. But timing is everything. And it's important that you get a good idea to strike at the time when people are going to be listening. Don't do it in the middle of the holidays or in the run-up to Christmas. Not yeah. a good idea. So for our American uh, folks here, no, we are not doing a strike in July or August. We're just not. And this is the one that a lot of folks miss, which is Easter. It's not just a half-term over here. It's a religious festival for some people. But what it means effectively is you will not get the attention that you need for a strike. Always catches our, our friends from across the pond out and it moves around. That's a difficult thing, right? So find that out before you do your strike planning. All about concentration, as you just noted, Paul. If you're going to put your resources into one place, really, really focus them, you better make sure the timing is right. Which brings us on to number three. Well, this is one I've called association. If you're going to aim to change your sector, it's a good idea to announce your new category. It's an industry event and where, for instance, you could hold a reception of, of interested parties that you want to address. You might also be able to secure a, a speaking slot. We've seen Salesforce's leader, Mark Benioff, do this every year at his own Salesforce event. Well, if you're a Salesforce partner, why not speak at that event? And that gives you a little bit of gloss too. So the media might be more interested in talking to you at that particular event. And particularly if you can do it with an early industry partner, so much the better. They're going to love you down the line when you prove your category. So it is a smart thing to do. Which brings us on, and we're over halfway already of our seven, to number four. Corroboration. Corroborate that your thesis is good. And how do you do that? Go speak to some third parties, right? And we think very, very important in corroboration is getting friendly analysts on board that believe in your categorization. So the world of analysts have changed a lot recently for a lot of the use of analysts, which was 
back in the day, quote unquote, to get me on the shortlist. There are other means to do that. You've got G2, you've got Gartner's own Captera, if you want reviews of your product. So that part of the, the world of analysis changed. But the part where you're trying to precondition the market, that still exists. And let's remember about analysts, one thing we know is getting on their diaries ain't easy. So don't expect that this is going to fall in your lap. Plan it out ahead of time. It's one of the first things you want to plan to do when you're going for your strike. And you want to plan it together. This has got to be a win-win for you and the analyst outfit that you're you're working with. So you've got to liaise with them about their plans, you know, how they're going to publicize their involvement, how they're going to grab the market for anal an analysis of this new category. Yeah. Can you have the quote that's going to help, that's going to go into your strike deck? Very important stuff. And pick your analysts. They're not all the same, obviously. Um, that doesn't mean you need to exhaustively look at every single single thing they've done, but some people are more amenable to others. We've said this before. It is worth thinking about whether you need that tier one analyst and maybe you they don't see the world the way you do and drop down to tier two or beyond. Yeah, so make sure you're in lockstep. If you've managed to engage some early ecosystem partners at this stage, you need to follow exactly the same process um, and, uh, and use the power of social media with prepared narratives delivered by the thought leaders in your, in your company in parallel with your ecosystems partners and the analysts. These are your corroborators. Brings us on nicely to number five, because obviously the folks that are going to sell this are rather important to whether or not the strike's going to work. Yeah, so fifth is sales. All right. Okay, so never, never underestimate the importance of fully briefing the sales teams on your new category. And make sure they've got all the necessary decks and the Q&As to take the category to the customer. Yeah, and just a sidebar on this. It might not be that your first strike involves an acquisition. It could be the very reason you're doing a strike. But should it involve you, know, you bringing in another team, there are nuances to make sure that that sales team and your sales team all get it. Same with partners, right? Really, yeah. you, want, you want to educate them all as one team. They've got to share the vision of the category. They've got to be using the same language. This is where you find the old decks hanging around like a bad smell. Yeah. They've got to go. Got to go. So, Shred them. So give them, give the sales team time to number one, soak it in and then have them give it back to you. I would actually recommend doing some sort of certification that they can give you that strike message back and talk about the category. If they can't, they're going to misrepresent. Better you do it internally, run that cycle for sure. Give your sales team enough time to soak in it and then feedback so that you can deal with their objections because that's what they're going to be hearing. They're only going to reflect probably what the customer is going to say. Get those objections out, get it on the table and get your sales bought in. Very important point. Yeah, so love your, love your sales team in the in the category strike process. So number six. Yeah, it's feedback. feedback. Sort of, we sort of, we five and six sort of smudged here a little bit. So yeah, we do want to know what it is that people are going to love about the category and more importantly, what they are going to find challenging. Bear in mind, a good category hasn't been seen before. It should be challenging. It should challenge established notions of what's going on. It should be the sort of thing where you think, that's a terrible idea. Right up until the second when it's not a terrible idea, it's the only idea. So yeah, absolutely look for feedback. But remember, your point of view is your true north. And you should refer to that if you've done a good job at point of view before your strike. Those objections should be fairly squarely dealt with. Be honest about what went well and what didn't, and be sure to tell your extended team to keep them on side. 
You know, this is the feedback is vitally important to reinforce that category is a team play and everybody should be on board and everybody should understand yeah, it's where natural. you are. You're going to want to have some of those lessons from your first strike, some of which are reinforcing, some of which are challenging, and you need to take that on board because you're about to start planning. You should already be starting planning for your next strike. We, you know, we recommend, just to remind everyone, we recommend a quarterly or more likely a six-monthly cadence to these things to keep the category fresh and in people's minds and reinforce that the idea was good. And I, you know, data, data, data. What has this done to your web visits? What has this done to partner conversations? What has this done for sales? Let's collect as much data as possible. And that starts with setting the goals before strike one. Yeah, but of course, what happens with this feedback is this gives you the really, really valuable information to go to strike two. So the Which seventh, is point seven. Indeed it is, well anticipated. So follow up. So as you just said, striking's got to be a regular process. Um, you have to evolve the discussion, um, and you've got to keep ahead of any responding uh, competition. Well, there may be some really unexpected upsides here, right? So it may be you had a shy but somewhat intrigued customer, or maybe even a negative, because uh, it wasn't buying into the category uh, at the start, didn't quite get the POV. Once they've seen the amazing job that you've done at the strike, they are going to want to come back and they're going to want to get involved. So let's let's hoover up all of these thoughts. You know, what do we think about our category vision? That becomes a component of strike two. That's how you get the flywheel going. Yeah, and remember, this is a strategic process that it's going to require those regular strikes to achieve success. And fling things out of the flywheel, as you say, Paul. You have got a magnificent seven of tips there, some of which we've explored before, but I just think it's worth giving everybody the full idea, the full picture of what it is that a successful first strike looks like. To summarize then, what have we learned? If you really want the takeaway here, successful strikes are about timing, they're about coordination, and they're about ruthless execution and then repetition. Um, you know, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. So focus the entire resources of the company on making it happen, you know, getting noticed and prompting reaction and comment in the marketplace, because that's when you know your category is landing. Yeah, so I totally agree. I think the whole point here is to be thoughtful and approach your first strike with urgency, but also in a very planned manner. Delighted to help. We'd love to help you plan your first strike. Please do reach out to us all the ways you can. Website, show notes, etc. And look forward to speaking to you next time. Hope that's useful. All right, Jonathan, it's that time to get that off your chest. What has been grinding your gear, sir? Well, Paul, as you'll know, it's one of my big gear grinders and it's bloody branding. Ow! Yes. If you listen to CMOs from consumer firms that have moved into, into tech in recent years, the one thing they almost without exception do is they wibble on about the importance of brand. And the reason is, it's because that's all they know. If you've got a hammer, every challenge looks like a nail. We're seeing way too many startups spending inordinate amounts of cash and time on determining their brand values, creating brand books, you know, and, and all they've actually done is, is determine web design, tone of voice and, you know, fonts and nice colors. The problem is if they're being led by people that think that category is where you put your chocolate bar in a supermarket aisle rather than the 
process of reframing a company's approach to a customer problem, then they themselves have a very, very big problem. So it might help at this point to have a little bit of an apples to apples, pun intended, analogy. Jonathan, give us that, will you? Okay, so we imagine an organic farming business. Farmer grows organic apples. Now that's production. Um, farmer harvests the organic apples or gets somebody else to harvest them for them. And that's still production. Then they bring those organic apples to market. That's logistics. Then they speak to customers, sell organic apples, take the money, and tell their customers where they can get more organic apples in future. That's sales and marketing. You'll notice none of those things our category. Well, where's the category? The category is organic produce. And that decision, if you notice in this analogy, which is brilliantly thought, talked through, that decision about growing organic apples, about the, the problem being that apples are full of pesticides and it wouldn't it be nice if they were organic, that is a category decision. It's a strategy. It is. It the is. rest of it is all to do with sales, marketing, logistics, Etc. So how do you really differentiate yourself in that marketplace? You can do lots of tiny little things in those six layers that will make a difference. But what you really need to do is differentiate yourself within that category. Right. So what the farmer could potentially do would be to, say, introduce pigs to his organic orchard, you know, allow them to eat the windfalls, and then sell organic apple-fed pork. Nice, nice, nice category addition there. There's, there's your subcategory. And the fact it spells OAP, well, you know, we'll, we'll think about that later. So farmer has started to add value, started to think about his category. So he's got the OAP category. Now, they might decide that people need to think about this category in a more memorable way. Why doesn't he call this a um, fine swine? Fine swine. That encapsulates a product characteristic, but that is branding because fine swine or whatever it's called that exists in the category of organic food right well in this case organic apple fed pork oap, OAP so fine did. swine could be the lead brand in the oap subcategory the fine swine piece is the branding piece and obviously that's very important but it's a whole different set of skills really your branding does want to differentiate you but not as fundamentally perhaps as your category essentially Branding is, is people looking at a whole lot of things that apparently look exactly the same and which one's better. You know, th this really, really is not about difference. Yeah, so it's all about better. It's all about a better color, a better position in the supermarket, a better brand name. And there's an infinite number of brands that can exist in any category, but the point remains. Lots and lots of brands one category. The confusion lies because people are very used to brands. You deal with them every day as you, as you walk around uh, town and, and, and go through a supermarket. A category, though, for technology is way more important than your brand. Yes. I mean, all you're going to do is differentiate within a category, unless you're the category owner. Um, you know, brand does not change the game. Category does. You could argue, therefore, that branding is a really dangerous substitution for the fundamental strategy of building a category it absolutely is and people should be very very aware and not fall into the trap hope this is helping you design your category for more information go to becategorical.com where you'll find downloadable resources thanks for listening and keep different <laughs>